Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. We're so glad that you could join us today, whether that's from your car, office, home, church, or wherever you're at. We did have a few sound quality issues with our first few episodes. Those have been resolved. So if you do notice that the sound is funny in the first couple episodes, we do apologize for that. If you want to contact us, you can email us at loveincontext at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at loveincontext. Welcome to Love and Context with Ben and Spencer. It's an unscripted conversation. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Had to. Oh, okay. <laughs> Try this again. Hey, welcome to Love and Context, episode three, an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. Hey, we're going to be in Genesis 3 and 4, so if you have your Bible with you, open up to that. If you do not have your Bible with you, you can pause it, go get your Bible. That newfangled technology, man. You can pause it and then come back to this episode. I know. Right. I know. By the way, um, just like I hear neither here nor there, this morning, uh, uh, Pastor Nick at our church, uh, we're we're hanging out in the sound booth while Pastor Clint is preaching, and I, I will reach over and I found like the oldest iPhone in the world sitting on that on that thing. And I was like, what is this? He's like, oh, it belongs to the church. I was like, we need to get rid of this because I'm pretty sure it doesn't work anymore. Right? Uh, it was pretty funny. And then I don't he's think like carriers will support a first gen iPhone. Yeah, I don't think so. Well then he pulls out he pulls out um he pulls out uh the iPod um the iPod. The old yeah. the old big brick, right? Which is, you know, a phenomenal thing in its day. But I was like no, <laughs> no. I was like, why, why do you even have that? It's not compatible with anything. I'm going to buy you an iPod and load it with garbage music. You would. All right. So here we are. Genesis chapter three. Last week, uh, we kept trying to get here, right? Um, and uh, so now we're here. And we're probably going to reference back to this a lot. But yeah. more than that, we're probably going to reference back to Genesis one and two because they're more important. Yeah. You're going to be like, what? What do you mean it's more important? It's more important that you understand the original intention from God than what we made a mess of. Yeah. Nice. So Genesis chapter three. So uh, I I have some interesting thoughts. So I'll get get cracking here. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. You're giggling to yourself because you're like, man, Ben's going to talk all the time. No, no, that's not what I'm giggling to myself because I'm giggling to myself because I'm like, we did a whole episode last week and, and then like, there's still the part that's fighting me is like, oh yeah, we're starting the story. I'm like, no, we're not. Like, yeah, no, we're not starting. The we're story. not starting the story. We started in chapter one with God's original design, right? Yeah. So we read this story and uh, I think it's interesting, even in your Bibles, the subtitle is going to say the fall, right? Because, uh, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's bad. But here's the thing. If I was, if I'm going back once again, this is Moses at Sinai explaining this to the Israelites. Who is this God? Yeah. And so he talks about this, this idea of creation and we're created for a purpose and we're created to live in rest and male and female together. We, we make the image of God and we're called to fill the earth, subdue it and, and, uh, and really further God's reign in the world. And then you stop. My next question as a Israelite is why isn't life that way then? Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's the natural question. Yeah. Well, and we asked that question today about things in life, right? Right. And, and I think this, I think that it's helpful for us to look at this story as an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Right? That we're, we're going to understand, and this story doesn't necessarily, yes, it talks about original sin, but it also talks about what sin is. And we're going to get to that. But first off, I want to point out a uh, bone that I have to pick with many, many people who interpret this passage. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. Okay. So Genesis chapter three, how does that start? Can you read like the first verse for me? Yeah. Uh, and I read out the New Living Translation. So if you want to write to me about that, go ahead. He's NLT. I'm NIV. Yeah. But, you know, we both uh, yeah read ASAP. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it says the serpent was the shrewdest. Hold on a second. It says what? The serpent. The serpent. Are, are you sure that doesn't say the devil? It does not say the devil. It says the serpent. It says the serpent. Okay, well, all right, keep reading. So it says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. Hold, hold on a second. Did it just say that the serpent is a wild animal? Yep. Did The Bible was specific that it's the serpent and that it's a wild animal. Not only that, that it was the shrewdest of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Interesting. Interesting. So who is, who is the serpent? Now there is, I'm, I'm talking about this kind of tongue in cheek. And if you grew up in the church, you're going to understand what I'm talking about, but we immediately go and we talk about that. This is Satan in the garden, 
Now, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad application long term. But where are you getting that in the text that's been written so far? Yeah. I think I think what you're going to see, and we're going to talk about a lot of remez and a lot of callback and a lot of allusion into scripture. And frequently in scripture, you're going to have people refer to Satan like a serpent. Okay. But when you do that, what you're actually doing is you're saying, hey, do you remember the serpent in the garden? Mm-hmm. What she did, who he was. Yeah. Satan is doing like that now. Yeah. And where we get this reference of the serpent is actually comes from Revelation, um, where they kind of, where they make that tie in together. But the people who would have been reading this back in the day when this was originally written would not have had Revelation. Right. Right. So, like, if you were a Jew coming out of Israel and you heard the story or read that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord had made, you actually don't have the connection that that's Satan. Yeah. Now, you might have a question when he says, the serpent said to the woman, and you're like, hold on a second, snakes don't talk. Mm-hmm. Right? Which, with, on a very broad level, and, and once again, we're going to recommend multiple times, especially through Torah, check out the Baywatch podcast, yeah. check out the Bible project, check, check out Rabbi David Foreman's material. He's got some great stuff here, right? This snake, this serpent, is very crafty. It's the craftiest on the, on the planet. Yeah. It uh, talks. It reasons. It says, did God really say reasons? Makes reasonable arguments. And apparently, it walks or flies, one of the two. Yeah. Now, some of you are wondering why I say walks or flies. You can't be cursed to do something you already do. Yeah. Right? Uh, the curses show up later, and we're actually going to talk about that. So this snake, for whatever purpose, is an animal, but it can walk and talk and reason. And apparently Adam and Eve aren't surprised when it talks to them. So then what you should be asking in the story, what is the difference between this snake and man? Yeah. Yeah, That's a great question to ask. One thing I would just add real quick is if you're like, okay, well, did it walk or did it fly? What did it do? It's like, it doesn't matter. Right. Like it doesn't matter. That's not the point. That's not in the text. The text is not trying to tell us the details of whether it had four legs, six legs, eight legs, or right. wings or whatnot, right? It is telling us that it is the beast of the field. Yeah. And there's a clear illusion that for all intents and purposes, the things that we would say make humans human is also characteristic in the snake. Yeah. Right? So what is the difference? Which I believe is actually going to be really important when we talk about the nature of set. Yeah. And when you're talking about what is the difference, like uh, how many people listening to this podcast have ever asked the question like, hey, God, if you're real or hey, did, was that really God's voice that said that? Right. Or hey, was that really God speaking to that other person? God, I need some confirmation on that. Right. Um, that's actually has striking similarities right. to how the serpent talks. So she says, I'm not supposed to eat from the fruit and I'm not supposed to touch it because otherwise we're going to die. Because God did say, if you did this fruit on that day, you will surely die. Okay? He yeah. can say this. Now, the serpent, it says, uh, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, here's the problem. What do they, what are they already made in the image of? God. Okay. So, have they been given a commandment of what to do? Yeah. Have they been given a commandment of what not to do? Yeah. Okay, so, they're going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. So, they already have that. Right? They're already made in the image of God. They already know what they're supposed to do. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth and fill it and rule it. Right? According to the image of God. Yeah. And they're not supposed to eat of this tree. Like, they know what to do and what not to do. So, they're already like God, knowing both good and evil. So, the serpent is saying, you're going to get something you already have. Which, by the way, can we just comment? That's most sin. Yeah. Right? You're trying to get something you already have. Yeah. And you're going to make a big mess on the way to get it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, you're going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, here's the thing that I find very interesting. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, both things that were described earlier in Genesis, but also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. Mm-hmm. We skip over that. Right? Desirable for gaining wisdom. Yeah. 
Okay, what wisdom is she actually getting that God hasn't given her? Nothing. But she says, God, you are holding out on me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take and I'm going to receive because I know better than you. You have a four-year-old. You ever, you ever, she ever think, I want another cupcake? And you're like, no, you've had three. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty regular occurrence yeah. of like, I mean, cupcakes are a great analogy. We don't really have cupcakes in our house that often. Right. But like, it's a pretty regular occurrence of like, no, of like the other day I made her fried rice for lunch. Right. And she was like, I don't want fried rice. I was like, well, what do you want? She's like, I want the sugary cereal. And I was like, well, no, we're going to do fried rice. Um, my four-year-old's a little stubborn. Um, and so she was like, no, I'm going to wait you out. So we waited out till dinner and then she's like in tears hungry because I was like, well, you still have your fried rice. And she's like, no, I just want more sugar. Right. Right. So if, when I read this, I don't view this actually as a, as an issue of them needing more. Like they had everything. Right. But they thought it, God was holding out on them. And yeah. like, you just don't want me to have sugary cereal. But here's the thing you know about sugary cereal. You know that uh, diabetes is a problem in America. Yeah. Um, obesity is a problem in America. Yeah. Right. Um, and like- also, let's just, you know, since we talked about it in episode one, like things like COVID, influenza, colds, uh, all those different things you're more susceptible to yeah. when you have a poor diet. And you're like, I want you to be raised to be healthy and not get sick. Yeah. You know this. You're not holding out. No. And, uh, and you know, obviously every analogy falls apart. Like you're not never going to give her sugary cereal. No. But yeah. you know when she needs it and when she doesn't. Yeah. It's I mean, almost like you're a good father. Yeah, we have sugary cereal. We have ice cream in our house, stuff like that, but we don't just eat that. So what happens when she's able to get that sugary cereal and she eats a whole box? Oh, she doesn't feel good. She doesn't feel good, and sometimes you end up with some extra stuff on the floor. Well, the other day, she actually, she's to the point where she can get her own cereal and, right. and like do all that stuff. So the other day, I was doing some work on my computer, and she snuck like three bowls of sugary cereal. And then she comes up to me, she's like, my stomach hurts. Right. And then when I found out what happened, I was like, yeah, no wonder your stomach hurts, right? Right. Um, but you, so like coming back to Genesis, you have this happening here where you had man and woman in the garden with God. They had everything they needed. Made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. They're in fellowship with God. Things were perfect. They know good. They know right. evil. They know what they're supposed to do. Yeah. The deceit wasn't, okay, this food looks good. Yeah. The they already knew the food looked good. Yeah, they knew it looked good. The, the deceit was, hey, God's holding out on you. Right. Which, by the way, can we just take a step back and say, um, the tragedy isn't that Adam and Eve happened. It's that it happens every day in our lives. I know. Every day we get up and we say, God, you're holding out on me, so I'm going to take for myself. Yep. How many marriages do you know that are ruined because a guy, a gal, whatever it is, they say, I don't believe that this is enough. I need to go and get for myself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, men thinking with parts of their body, women lacking the fellowship that they desperately need in a mate, mm -hmm. right? This isn't enough. I'm going to go get for myself. Yeah. And then everything falls apart. Yeah. Because that's the nature of sin is God, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Now, which brings me to the point, and like I said, we have a couple of things that I think is really interesting here. This thing is called the tree of good and evil, right? Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The problem is the tree can't give you the knowledge of good and evil because they already have it, right? Yeah. Now, by the way, this is this is Ben's thought experiment. Please don't take this as doctrine, mm -hmm. okay? But what is interesting about this thing, the word that is used for knowledge is also used in the book of Exodus for um, creative artistic expression, the ability to create, right, uh, when they are making the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Now, if you take that idea... And you take it back to the book of Genesis and you have this idea of like, what is knowledge? It's the ability to interpret for yourself what is good and what is evil. Yeah. This tree gives you the ability to interpret for yourself what is good and what is evil. Now, the problem is the world is meant to work a certain way. And as soon as you step out of line with that, death happens. Yeah. Disease happens. Brokenness happens. Because God created an ecosystem that works according to his will. And when you step outside of that, he's not going to stop you. So th this is the interesting thing. People are like, well, God brings punishment. I was like, no, you step out of God's plan and punishment is just the natural consequence 
it's like when you get a virus on your computer. The manufacturer didn't put a virus on there. You downloaded it, and then it messed everything up. But what God wants to do through Jesus Christ is he wants to reformat your hard drive and put in some firewalls. Amen. <laughs> right? And and let, let's just touch on that idea of punishment for a second. Right. Uh, so, all right, I'm going to get some emails for this. It's going to be great. The punishment. Say that. We haven't actually gotten any emails yet. Of course, we haven't posted anything yet. Uh, we have, a little out of you guys know, we, we record multiple episodes before we actually post. Yeah. Uh, but this idea of punishment, that God is punishing us because of what we did. Right. Uh, you actually don't find that in chapter three. Nope. Um, and so people will be like, well, that the wages of sin, you'll, I hear it now, the wages of sin are death. I was like, okay, yes, right? Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And in chapter three, even though the wages of sin are death, it doesn't say that God initiated punishment right. on that, on his children for that. Right. Right. Um, and so you actually read through it and you have God who is saying, he's like, he's like, okay, where are you? They're like, oh, well, we're hiding because we're naked. And he's like, well, who told you you were naked? Right. And then, then they fess up. I told you that what I made you yeah. was enough. Yeah. Then they fess up to this, right? right. Then they fess up and, and Adam throws Eve under the bus and Eve is like, and okay. But, uh, right. It's a good thing. It's a good thing they absorb that knowledge, right? Right. Because here you have God. He's like, he's like, wait, 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 who, who told you this? Like, who told you this? Who said that you weren't enough? Right. Who said that you need to be better? Right. Right. And can we pause here? Because it, I, I'm just about, I'm just about sick of men and the way they treat women. Yeah. By the way, um, Adam is as much or more to blame. Period. Okay. Yeah, Eve did not have the fruit, take a bite of it, then wander around the garden for 15 minutes to find Adam. Right. Adam was standing there with her when this went down. Did I ever point out to you? I, I think I pointed out to you at one point, but um, I want to read this to you and see if you, if you see what I see. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then... The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves. Okay. When were their eyes opened? After Eve ate? After both of them. After both of them ate. Interesting. Because together, they're the image of God. Right. You know, I'm also reminded of something Jesus said about love covering a multitude of sins. Yeah. And just as a thought experiment, I don't want to see any emails on this. What if Eve had taken a bite and Adam said, no, that's not what God wants for us. Put it down. Mm-hmm. Right? We could speculate on what could happen, but it's just not in the text. I can tell you what happens in marriages today. Yeah. When one person is ready to take a bite of an apple and throw everything away, and the other one looks at them and says, no. Yeah. You put that apple down. hmm And you come back. I don't have to speculate. I know what happens. Yeah. Forgiveness, restoration, redemption. That's what happens when one person has the courage to put the apple down and not eat. Mm-hmm. Man. Oof. It's like I got a little bit deeper there than I meant to go. That's all right, man. It was good. Yeah. All right. So this idea, right? So, uh, well, or, man, what's going on? Uh, is this woman you sent here? <laughs> yeah. uh, she she brought me this apple and she was like, mm, go eat. That's the BLT, Ben's Living Translation. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tasty translation. So, um, so God says to the woman, he says, what have you done? She's like, well, the serpent deceived me. So God said to the serpent and I, and can I read this? Because like you and I, I've talked about my beef here and I want you to tell me what's missing. Okay. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike a seal. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbirth birthing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plant of the field. Okay. What's missing in there? What's missing is the... uh curse that's been placed on man and woman right there, you there's right now we're gonna get emails i can literally hear the typing happening in the future okay 
I said, I want to read this to you. He says, cursed are you above all livestock. He's talking to the serpent. Then he turns to the woman. He says, I will make your pains in childbirthing very severe. Now, I've never given birth. It looks not, not great, right? So uh, maybe you look at that as a curse. I was like, but there is a word that's missing. Is cursed are you with childbirthing, pain and childbirthing. Yeah. So, um, and then he says to Adam, he says, cursed is the ground, ground. the ground because of you. And you're going to work through thorn and thistles, and eventually you're going to return to it. So the serpent is cursed, and the ground is cursed because of Adam. But for all intents and purposes, they left the word curse off of women's childbirth. One of the things that uh, my wife has talked to me about, and, and, and was very true for me being in the room, is I've never felt closer to God than I was during childbirth. Right? When, you, when you're actually giving life, creating life, right? Um, I know life in the women, all that, but you're like, your life is actually being realized, right? That moment, like there was like this moment that I was like, I identified and I saw like the world just for a second through God's eyes. It's the feeling that I get when I put my hands in something to work and uh, I work and I work and I work and I work and I finally see my project accomplished. Yeah. I sit there and just for a second... I see it through eternity. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it connects me to God, my work, my my work uh, for humanity, my work for God, my work for the community, whatever it is, right? It connects me to who God is. Now it's about what's easy rather than what connects you to the world. Mm -hmm. Which, holy cow, let's talk about America. Right? Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm laughing over here a little bit right now. Because, uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just laughing. Cause like in America, I mean, we are like, okay, how can we, especially right, like right now we're like, okay, how can we make the most money while putting in the li- smallest amount of work? Right. And, um, and how can we do all these things and make it so we don't have to worry about anything, but we also don't have to work cause we want it all right. The American dream isn't, is no longer to have a nice job, have a nice house, have a nice family is to be able to do nothing and still get paid for it. Um, and, uh, and so, but you look through the design of creation, we're designed to work. We're designed to have a job. Right. Um, and there's actually literally built into our DNA. It's literally built into our DNA. And when we don't work, there's actually been, uh, some studies, I don't have them in front of me, but you can Google them and look, but there's actually been some studies that have shown that like idleness leads to depression. Yeah. I believe it. And, um, and so, and so we're, we're designed to work. We're designed to be moving we're designed to be active right we're not designed to sit still and do nothing so a couple of things to consider here and like the reason i bring this up is what is the nature of sin we believe god's holding out on us Mm -hmm. and we believe that we can define good and evil better by ourselves yeah guys that boils every sin down yeah that it's everything everything about it and something is fundamentally broken in humanity prior to jesus coming in that respect in that we start to define good and evil on our own terms. Now, there are people who continue to define good and evil by God's terms. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, humanity starts defining good and evil for themselves. By the way, you should hear that today. If it feels good, it's good for you. Yeah. Some of the hardest people to talk uh, talk to about Jesus are the people who are like, man, I'm so happy for you. Like, I'm, I'm glad you like that. I'm glad that works for you. Right. Those are the hardest people to talk to about Jesus because like, it's like you don't actually see your own depravity and you don't see that you're in need. Um, and, uh, and I'm being very careful with this because it's very easy to go down that slope of like, oh, we're all just wretches. But you look at Genesis 3, there wasn't actually a curse placed on man or woman. You, you, could, argue, you could argue that sharpening pain in pregnancy was a curse. You could argue that, um, but it doesn't actually say that. Um, and what is God's response to that? God's response right after that is, is it said, okay, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. We talked about that last week a little bit. And the Lord made clothes from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So you have God who said, okay, I see what you did. I know what you did. I see that you have stepped out. Right. But here, 
I see that this nakedness is shaming you, but here, let's cover that up. Right. It, Adam and Eve did not make their own clothes. And can we just talk about the grace of God in that moment too? Yeah. Because he did say, on this day you will surely die. And then what doesn't happen? They don't die. Right. Now, I think that you can make a strong argument for like in, in some respects they absolutely did die. Right. Yeah. Something fundamentally changed. Who they were was no longer there. Mm-hmm. They were a broken image of God. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but God has grace in them every single day that they continue to walk the earth. Yeah. And that does not make God a liar. Right. Like, let's be really clear on that. Just because God said, okay, on this day you'll surely die, and then they did it, they and they didn't die, that doesn't make him a liar. What that makes God is grace-filled. Right. Makes him loving. Uh-huh. Makes him compassionate. Yeah, it makes him loving. It makes him grace-filled. And then it makes you wonder why Jesus said phrases like, okay, Love the Lord with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And this sums up the entirety of the law. Right. By the way, we're going to reiterate this like thousands of times. If you think the Old Testament is about an angry old God and that the New Testament is all fluffy Jesus, sorely misunderstand because Jesus says, man, I am here to represent the Father as clearly as possible. Yeah. Um, So I want to talk about that really quick here because you're talking about him clothing them. He says, then man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, able to determine for himself what is good, what is evil. Yeah. Right? Um, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Now, we hear that and we're like, well, why not? Because you're broken. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to get stuck this way. Yeah. Right? Um, now, I thought this was really interesting because we're talking about work and childbirth about bringing us back to, back to Eden, right? Listen to this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. To work the ground. Yeah. From which he had been taken. Mm-hmm. The Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to what? Works the ground. Work the ground. Why? Something about working the ground brings you back to God. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about literally working the ground, okay? Like, uh, maybe, maybe. I, there is actually some interesting scientific things about actually putting your hands on earth. Yeah. Right? There, there totally is. Um, we're not going to dive too much into that. And if you're, and if you're like, well, why is that the case? Why is working the ground something that draws us closer to God? I don't know. Like, I don't fully know the answer. Like, specifically working the ground. But what I can tell you is that we were designed to have a job. Yeah. And if we don't have a job, and that job actually leads to fulfillment. Yeah. It exactly. Connects us to our identity, which is what we're missing. And I also think there's there's a thing about finding God in the midst of the work, right? Uh, one of the, one of the songs that I really like, you know that song Waymaker. Yeah. Uh, even when I can't see it, He's working. Even when I can't feel it, He's working. And I think that's the invitation is for us to go and join Him in there. Now, I think the temptation you could say, well, well, you know, you never stop, you never stop working. That's the next part of the words. Okay. God also knows how to rest. He knows how to party. It's going to be all over Leviticus and Numbers. We're not going to get into that yet. Yeah. But he also knows when to put his nose to the plow and and plow up the fields. You know what I mean? So I want to come back to the tree of life bit a little bit. Because it says that after we, after Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished from the garden. And there was a cherubim who was actually placed to protect the tree of life so that we want to eat of that again. Uh, the idea of that is we often view that we've, I've, I've heard this taught, taught as like, man, this is punishment so that you can't return to the way God had things before. It's like, no, we'd actually be stuck eternally in our damaged selves. And, uh, and I, and when I realized of God right there. And so it's actually the grace of God to say, Hey, I don't want you to be like this forever, but I am going to give you an allotment of time so you can see how much I love you. Right. And so if we put this in context of where are they hearing the story at Sinai again, right? Yeah. What are they about to receive? Ten commandments, right? Ten commandments. And they're about to receive the law and they're about to enter yeah. a covenant with God mm-hmm. and walk forward. And what is this covenant really designed to do? Bring them closer to God. He, he says it in chapter 12 of uh, Genesis. He says it to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you so that all nations will be blessed. Yeah. The intention of God with the people of Abraham is to bless all nations. Mm-hmm. And he's going to take a people and go into covenant with them. And through them, the entire world is going to find salvation because yeah. he's going to put them on display and draw people back to himself. Yeah. Spoiler alert, totally happens. Yeah. It does. Totally Take some awkward turns, but it totally happens. Yeah. There's definitely times where we're like, huh, humans really just did that thing in the Bible? But uh, it totally happens. All right. So 
so that is that's the story of of sin, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because if I'm asking why isn't the world this way, it's like because we wanted to define good and evil on our own terms. And if I'm I'm Israel listening to that, I'm like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, and I mean, and, and think of that in the context of Israel in captivity in Egypt, right? They essentially have felt like they've been abandoned from God for about 400 years, right? And so. So there was probably a lot of time where people did define what they thought was good, what they thought was wrong. And you can actually see hints of that in Exodus uh, 1 and 2, uh, especially when Moses uh, kills uh, kills the other Egyptian guard and runs away. Like there's some of that conversation there actually hints at that there, that there was some own self-definition of right and wrong. Um, and so you have that going on. Right, not to mention the Egyptians find it to be right to enslave the Israelites. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. They've defied good and evil on their own terms. Yeah. And so you have you have some of that going on. And you have actually Israelites, it's uh you have Israelites who are actually stepping more in line with what the Egyptians believe, which is only natural because they've been there for so long. Right. Right. So you have this idea of like where does sin come from? Like why are we this way? And then we get this interesting story that comes after this. And I, and I want to point out to this because we're talking about Christian existence. So we've talked about sin. What is sin? It's when we try to find good and evil on our own terms rather than finding the truth of Christ, right? Yeah. So then the next question uh, or next statement that happens in, in with Cain and Abel, the next section in with Cain and Abel, um, deals with this idea of sacrifice and this idea of honoring God and worship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some interesting bits in here that I find push against our theological ideas really hard. So, uh, so she gave birth to Cain, who's the older, and Abel, who's the younger. So Abel kept flocks, means he uh, had animals, and Abel, uh, Cain worked the ground. Now, he worked the soil. So theoretically, yeah. what should that do? Draw him closer to God. Draw him closer to God. And yet, who's closest to God? Abel. Interesting. Okay. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Uh, text is pretty interesting there. doesn't clearly say that Cain kind of phoned it in, but he kind of phoned it in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a reasonable assertion from that text. God looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Okay, so people said that God rejected Cain's sacrifice. It actually doesn't say that. It no. said he didn't look on it with favor. Yeah. You know, you, you hear what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He didn't, it doesn't say God rejected his sacrifice. It says he didn't look on it with favor. Yeah. Didn't say that he didn't receive it. Just didn't look on it with favor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even mean that he didn't appreciate it. He just didn't look on it with favor. Yeah. People are like, why are you saying this over and over, Ben? Because you need to hear that. Yeah. Like there are things that you do when you give a sacrifice to God that he looks on with favor. Yeah. Because it's something extraordinary. So when your son does something that you're like, okay, that wasn't great. Do you completely reject your son? No, I'm like, good job, buddy. Yeah. Right? Even though it wasn't like something that'd be favorable to you. Yeah, yeah. So now here is, here is, here's, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Totally see my four-year-old now. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I, you know, um, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, don't worry, because 3,000 years from now, I'm going to send my son into the world to die, and you'll find redemption through him. So where in this passage does that say it's referring to Cain's offering? Good point. So if you if you heard what I said, mm-hmm. I didn't actually quote the Bible there. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I, you know what I did quote? A lot of our theology. Yeah. Okay? So some of you are already, I can hear you typing. I'm not talking about the original sin isn't a real thing. Okay, please don't hear that. God says this to Cain. This is post-fall, living in the world, Adam and Eve. um, Now sin has entered the world, right? They're defining good and evil on their own terms. And God says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must Rule over it. Yeah. Man, that, that takes a sucker punch to our theology. It does, because we are taught that we can't. Correct. 
I mean, we're taught that, okay, we can't have uh, dominion power over sin. And I would argue that the Bible doesn't agree. Yeah. The Bible does not agree. Now, I hear all of you typing right away, then what about Jesus? What about Jesus? We would love to have a conversation about that, but we're not having it today. We're getting there. Because Jesus' sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection is fundamental. It is necessary. It is the pivotal, crucial, apex point of the Christian existence with God. It is very important. Maybe I would actually argue, and I'm going to say that what, I, what the Bible teaches about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is actually more important than what you think. Yeah. It is more important than what you think about why Jesus had to come, live, be, be curt, killed, buried, and raised from the dead. It is so important, but it doesn't change the fact that God says, your sin, you can conquer it if you want to. I, I, I've heard this said, man. I, it's, it's in Isaiah. People always quote it. They always quote it. Uh, they, they like to throw Romans and Isaiah together. They say, um, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, for the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. When you say it together, it sounds like one passage. Right. But it's not. Did you know I only found out like two years ago it's not one passage? Because mm-hmm. I've heard it quoted together so many yeah. times. I was like, where does Paul say this together? Turns out he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And in Isaiah, they're dealing with guys that are doing the sacrifices, doing the system, and their life looks nothing like what a priest should look like. Yeah. They're doing these activities with the image of spirituality, but they're dead inside. That doesn't apply. No, nope, it doesn't apply at all. And mm-hmm. God says, man, everything you're doing, it is worthless because you don't actually want to be different. Yeah. You don't actually want to tell my good story. You just want the blessings without being part of the family. Yeah. And God says to us, sin is waiting at your door waiting to devour you. You can conquer it. Now, I would argue that our fundamentally changed nature, we choose not to. Yeah. We come in flawed and we choose not to over and over again. But we do meet a guy in chapter 12 who through faith pleases God. Yeah. And and so jumping back to the sacrifice here from Cain and Abel. Uh, so a lot of times we're like, okay, we interpret this through the lens of the sacrificial system and Leviticus. Uh, Levit- Leviticus hasn't been written yet. Like, right. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Like the, this hasn't been written yet. So what you have is you have you have people who are being like, okay, I recognize something's broken and I'm going to offer something to God. Right. One doing it because he genuinely is there for God. The other one doing it because he's going through the motions. Right. That's what you have going on right now. And uh, and I tongue in cheek just a minute ago said, oh yeah, the, that doesn't relate to the church. I was like, it totally relates to the right. church today. Like it totally relates to people who claim to follow Jesus. How many how many of us are obeying the moral law because yeah. we don't want God to zap us with lightning. Yeah. Rather than we, we do these things because we know it, it touches God's heart. Right. Right. Cause God loves us because God loves us and he's a loving and more specifically, we love God too. Yeah. We do things. And, and, and by the way, sometimes you're going to have things that God wants you to do that you don't want to do. I don't particularly like washing the dishes, but I do it. Yeah. Cause I love my wife. Mm-hmm. Right? And all of you who don't wash the dishes don't love your wife. No, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, like each person has to figure out with their family what, what they're going to do. Yeah. Right? Uh, you're, you're partners. You're not one person over another. Mm-hmm. But I do things not because I like them, but because I love the person. And in the love for the person, a lot of times I find that I like what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, a good example, Tara and I. Okay. Um, some of you don't know who I am and that's okay. Um, I don't like hiking. I really don't. Like, um, I like getting to destinations and sitting down. Ben's being very nice about this right now. He does not like hiking. I do not like hiking. But you know who does? My wife. Man, she she loves hiking. And I don't do it as much as I should. But when we go for a hike, it's because I want her to be able to enjoy something, right? Yeah. Now, you know what I do like doing? Playing video games. Yeah. So much. I'm such a nerd. Right? And you know what Tara does? 
she plays games with me. Yeah. Not because she particularly has some great love for video games, but because she loves me. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that that's that's what it is, you know? Um sorry, we got off a little bit on there, but man, that's part of the unscripted man. Yeah, that's that's how it goes. Uh, and so when you're reading through these passages and stuff like that, uh, so often I've heard chapter four interpreted as a like, oh, doom and gloom type chapter of like, this is when the first murder was committed. Right. And that's not a bad interpretation. It's just an incomplete one. Yeah. Because oftentimes I hear the story of Cain and Abel and how Cain murdered Abel. Yeah. And they start off with that. And I'm like, bro, that's the second half of the story. Yeah. Like the first half is that I actually... We're going through the motions to offer something to God. One person was doing it with a genuine heart. One was not. And then God, here's the interesting thing. Who did God go talk to after the sacrifices? Right. Or the offerings? Goes talk to Cain. He goes and talks to the one who was doing it half-heartedly. Right. Right. If that Which, doesn't echo Jesus, I don't know what does. I So... We've been talking about the field, and so I just want to point out a couple things here that I think are interesting. So now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Yeah. The field's important, guys. Mm -hmm. This is the place where they're supposed to work and actually connect with God, right? While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Yeah. And so once again, a place where you're supposed to be connecting with God uh, work that you're called to do actually reconnect you actually goes the opposite way and you redefine again. And I, I think that we're seeing a perpetual like continuation of sin. And by the way, you, if you don't see the connection between this story and Adam and Adam and Eve, like there are connections all over the place. Uh, Foreman's book, Beast that Crashes the Door, really good. Check it out. Right. It's all over this place. So I think this is interesting though. So God then comes to, uh, Cain and he's like, what did you do? The blood is literally crying out from the ground, right? Crying out from the ground of what? The field. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. What, what's what's the thing about the ground again? Like you work it and it connects you with God? Yeah. And blood is crying out from the field? Yeah. Interesting. Just throw that out there. Uh, he now says to Cain, who is a guy who's been working the field, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. You're never going to be able to settle down. Mm-hmm. So, interesting thing. You, you ever shepherded? Uh, some, not a lot. So, in shepherding, you tend to take sheep around, yeah. right? Crop, or uh, not crops, uh, uh, herds. You take them around. You actually go around places with them. You might even say that you're a wild, wandering nomad. Yeah. Which, what did, remind me, what did Abel do again? He's a shepherd. He actually tells Cain to go and be a restless wanderer. Cain's like, man, I can't do this. Someone's going to find me. They're going to kill me. He's like, nope, they're not going to kill you. If they kill you, they're going to get seven times worse what you get. Right? Yeah. So he's supposed to be a wanderer. But what does Cain actually do? He goes and he founds a city. Yeah. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not like a architect here, but I think cities are kind of permanent places. Right? So he's not actually being a restless wanderer. And then his generation after generation after generation, they don't get better, they get worse. God told Cain to go and be a wanderer. Yeah. And he stays still. And seven generations later, we get a guy by the name of Lamech who says that he's 70 times seven times worse than a, yeah. Uh, Cain. Yeah. Maybe God knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe we've been interpreting an, a God through an angry lens when Jesus tells us to interpret it through love God and love other people. God's goal in everything he's doing with people is to redeem them. Mm -hmm. All of them. Yeah. Period. Period. Right? It's so good. It's so good. It's, and, it's so good. And so in the ties from this story over to uh, Life of Jesus, stories like there's actually ties from this story over to stories of the prodigal son. There's ties back to Adam and Eve. Like, uh, this story is vitally important to understand. Right. It's it's not like, a lot of times we kind of skip over it and we're like, okay, well, Cain killed Abel. Moral of the story, bad. Yeah, don't hit people in the head with a rock. Yeah. By the way, it doesn't say that. doesn't say that. We don't know how Abel died. We don't, we, there's no medical report to uh We know that there was blood. Yeah. So it fell into the ground. Yeah. That's <laughs> what we know. That's what we know. That's what we know. Um, but there are so many ties throughout all of scripture on this. Yeah. 
right? And so you you want to be really careful with the story and your understanding of it. You want to understand that Cain, even though his offering wasn't pleasing to God, he was doing half heartedly. God met with him. Right. God meets him in it. Uh huh. And he gives him solution. Yeah. You want to understand that God didn't necessarily curse Cain. Cain he felt. I understand where he's on. Yeah. Yeah. And th- then he also gives him an ability to actually walk in his brother's shoes. Yeah. And not only that, what if, he says, uh, what if somebody kills me? He's like, nope, nobody's going to kill you because I'm going to put a mark on you that nobody can touch you. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, where was this God of anger and frustration? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Fire. Side note, jump ahead to Exodus. And when there's a spot in there where God's talking to Moses and God is angry with Moses because Moses is like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And what does God do in his anger? He sends someone to help. Yeah. It's almost like there's a theme throughout the Bible that God is always trying to help people make the right choice. Yeah. And and move them along in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now you don't have to agree with our interpretation of that. That's okay. Um, I've done a lot of reading on these chapters in Genesis, and I think there's a lot that we we did not talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, like I said, recommend checking out like some of these other podcasts, some of these other teachings. Um, get some people who get into the contextual Hebrew because it's important. And uh, but if we're we're talking about what are our takeaways from this? So what what would you say our first takeaway from these these two stories is? So well, the thing I would say on this story is. Uh, first off, just stop viewing God as a judgmental God in this story. That's how I was taught this story as a kid. Right. Right? Like you did a sin and boom, you are judged. Yeah. Right? That is not what's going on here. God's actually being so loving and so grace-filled right. in this moment. Do you see the love of God? Yeah. And when you choose to define sin on your own terms, yeah. do you see the love of God in the middle of that? just beckoning you and creating a way for you to come back. Yeah. And a God who refuses to let you permanently make yourself that way. Yeah. Right? And then the next next thing is, when you come before God and you're offering sacrifice, worship, whatever you want to call it, right? Because we're not in Levitical system yet, so please stop jumping ahead to Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Right here, God meets he, he looks with favor on Abel's and he meets with Cain. Yeah. And he says, man, you have the ability to be better than this. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if I was, if I'm reading between the lines, of what God says, he's looking at Cain. He's like, I believe in you. Yeah. And I'm just going to ask a question. Does this foreshadow up to where Jesus is like, Hey, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So we're, we're in the gospel of John right now. Yeah. And I just had like this crazy thought. Okay. I want you to think about the beast that's crouching out the door. Right. He looks to Cain. He says, uh, why is your face? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is good, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is good, sin is at your door crouching, waiting to devour you, but you must conquer it. Right. Knowing what Cain is going to go out and do. Right. And knowing that he's going to create a way for Cain to once again find redemption and knowing that Cain's still not going to follow that. Yeah. Okay. Now jump ahead to the gospel of John and Jesus is at the table and he says, he says, all of you are chosen by me, but one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, who's that? You know, this is one I dip in uh, and I give him the bread and he gives it to Judas Iscariot. Right. And he's, he looks at him and he says, go do what you're going to do. Man, I hear echoes of. Sin is waiting at your door, waiting to devour you, but you must conquer it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's the same guy making the same kind of statement to another son he knows is going to make a mistake. Yeah. I, You know, the craziest thing to me is Jesus never chastises Judas. No, he doesn't. For he never does. Now, the disciples get really bent out of shape about it. You know who never says anything about it? Jesus. Mm-hmm. He actually has much more to say about Peter. Yeah, and he does about G- uh, about Judas. That's another episode. Yeah, that is so such another episode, yeah, man. So like, just know that like, God is looking for you to connect with Him, and He's going to find a way to get you back into His household one way or the other. And that is one of the things you have to understand about who God is. Like, if we're talking about Torah and the things we need to understand about God, is that we create sin when we try to define good and evil on our own terms, mm-hmm. and that if you just come back you can actually conquer that 
and come back to what God is calling you to be. Yeah. But our fundamental nature change won't let us. And so, Jesus. Yep. Right? Yeah. And, yeah, so with this story, like, I see a loving God. Loving God. I see a loving and grace-filled God who is meeting with a person who half-heartedly wants to be with God, who's just going through the motions. And he's like, and God's like, hey, why do you feel this way? Right. Right. Uh, a couple interesting side notes on this. It doesn't say how they knew Abel's gift was, um, doesn't fully say that. So there's a little bit of an implication on us being like hard committed to God, hard half committed, right? There's a little bit of an implication there. Um, the other thing that's interesting that, that I just wanted to point out was that Cain replied to the Lord. This is in verse 13. He says, my punishment is too great to bear. Okay. Um, so we look at that and I was, I've always interpreted that through the lens of, okay, God put this punishment on him and it was too great for him to bear, right? But God didn't, God, yeah, put the punishment on it. But you look at the ramifications of what Cain was asked to do. He was asked to live life like his brother lived life. Right? How did his brother live life? Pleasing to God. Right. In a way that pleased God. Feels like there's an invitation there. Yeah. Wander the earth. Come back. Yeah. By the way, I I also don't feel like God says that anything has changed. No. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Mm Mm-hmm. That invitation is still there. Yeah. That invitation is still there, and it's all throughout the Old Testament, guys. It's there over and over and over again because the Father so loved, he gave. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I think we got to close it there. That's good. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that we hope that you got something out of it. Uh, if you have any questions, please contact us at loveandcontext at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and message us through there. Uh, Instagram is loveandcontext. Again, loveandcontext at gmail.com or Instagram are the two ways to get a hold of us if you would like. Thank you once again. We really appreciate you being here. God bless.